for the next hour, the cubicle is empty. Alright guys, welcome to episode 15 of the Empty Cubicle podcast. It is September 16th, 2017. It's been a few weeks. We're not going to lie, it's been a while. Uh, yeah, days. But uh, but we're back and there's no promise at episode 16, so uh, take this as as a possible special edition. What's going <laughs> on, count. Matt? Make it count. Oh man, a lot's been happening. I, know, I think we should... You know what, I, I actually haven't... Uh, Apart from the podcast, I haven't spoken to you much myself in person. I mean, we're yeah, not a bad person, friend, but I know I'm a shit friend. But um, what's new with you, dude? A lot's been going on. Uh, I think it's been like a pretty big summer, pretty eventful in a lot of areas. Been doing a lot of traveling. I was like, I mean, obviously Hurricane Irma just hit, so I was out of Miami for about two weeks, and I was in Peru prior to that. So I feel like I've only been in Miami like three or four days in the last three weeks. It's good to be back though. How was uh How was your part of Miami doing with the hurricane? So I'll say this, you know, on the videos, I'm sure most people have seen it, like Brickle had a little ocean running through it. And then the next day, everyone was like, oh, Brickle looks great. At least a few people told me that. And then when I got back, I mean, there's shit everywhere, dude. Like, I mean, mostly it's just shrubbery and branches and stuff, but there's a few trees, like pretty big trees that noticeably not got knocked down. Um, I'll say this, if we got a direct hit, there wouldn't be a Miami anymore. Like, Really? Miami, it's it's that bad. Gonna, I mean, it's not that bad right now, but all we got was the tail, like the, the edge of the hurricane. If we got a direct hit category four, that's it. <laughs> Brickle's gone. Like, really? So there, too... there, there were a lot on the news. Um, and just when you heard from meteor- meteorologists that Miami and like the greater Miami area was definitely not hit as bad as people expected. Yeah. Obviously, I think Hurricane Harvey was much more catastrophic than... Irma to the states at least. I know that the Caribbean got it really bad with Irma. Uh, yeah. But did you did you watch that video on Fox? It was like floating all over the internet of Fox News interviewing the smartest guy in the world. Oh yeah, I think he sent it to me. That was so good. <laughs> so for our listeners who haven't seen it, it's you know the Fox News uh, meteorologist correspondent running around the beach like trying to interview people, asking them like, "Oh my God, why have you not taken cover and like left the area?" And he asks this guy that kind of looks like Doc Brown from Back to the Future, like, hey, like, are you not worried about your life? And the guy starts going on a rant about, like, the, you know, the different meridian points and degrees of movement and how it's moving west. And the guy totally rocked the Fox News correspondent. So afterwards, the guy's like, "Uh, okay, thanks. And just like walks away. In 45 seconds, I learned more from that guy than I did, like, four days at the Weather Channel. I don't, yeah, was, I don't think you ever. That guy was like Bill Nye times um, Neil Grayson Tyson or whatever that guy's name is. <laughs> Neil Grayson Tyson. I just made up a name. Neil something. Neil deGrasse Tyson. So there you go, deGrasse. Um, yeah. So you've had that. I've, I've on social media. I followed you a bit. You've been yeah. You've been traveling, doing that a bit. Anything else to uh, anything else noticeable that our listeners should uh, should should hear about? Yeah. So probably right before we ended our our last podcast, I started a, a business adventure. Most of my friends know this, but as, uh, I created a party card game. So if you're familiar with like Cards Against Humanity or some of those dumb card games that or people play. Or Uno or Go Fish or Yeah, Can- those Can- are a little like – Connect Four. Those are, yeah, but those are like elementary kind of games. Um, hide the so Weenie. Anyway, hide the Weenie. What's that? <laughs> Nothing. Go ahead. Okay. So I created a game called Right or Racist. And essentially it's a trivia card game about stereotypes. 
So you'll get a stereotype that'll say like 40% of women or 40% of black people or 80% of white people, blah, 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 blah. And then you'll have to guess if that stereotype is right, true, or racist, false. So I'm launching that. Um, I actually ordered a thousand boxes from China, hashtag MAGA. And um, they're going to be here in October. And once they clear customs, I'm, I'm actually shipping them out. I had some pre-orders and I'm going to sell it on Amazon and uh, see what happens. So the exciting, you can check us out at rightorracist.com. So the, the exciting thing to uh, tell the listeners is actually that you ran a pretty successful Kickstarter campaign against this and you raised a few thousand dollars. So I think that was, you know, yeah. the conversations you and I had, that was almost like a, a proof point of source to to really see if this had legs to to move. And I, it, it kind of does, right? I mean, being able to get a couple thousand dollars off of $25 uh, donations is... Uh, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty cool. I sold about 100 units, like pre-orders. And, um, yeah, it's funny because, like, I mean, granted, you do have the effect of when you show – when you're in person with somebody, people do kind of sugarcoat stuff and always, like, pat you on the back. But, like, every time I show this game to people, even random people, even if they don't know I made it, so it's more authentic, their reaction, they're really into it because, you know, everyone – it's very, it's very political, right? In a, in a political climate we have right now, especially with all the statue stuff that we saw, like, you know, we have the far left versus the far right. I mean, the far right is fucking crazy and the far left is just, they just don't like Nazis. So that's like normal, I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> I love how, I love how people try to make it seem like Antifa is like some kind of bad group. It's like, no, they just don't like Nazis. So, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. But anyway, so it's very topical because I mean, the game's not the game's not that extreme. It's more about it, more in the middle. But it's you know, it's really trying to it's really trying to assess and combat misconceptions that we have. But sometimes they're true. So you know, some people are very quick to call you like prejudiced or racist or whatever. And you're like, no, nah, I just I think a lot of Asians own dry cleaners because they do. Like that doesn't make me a so, racist. So that that brings me to, to to a question here. So well, while you were going through the process of building the game. Yeah. You know, you, you task some of your friends to go find some of the most obscure facts that you would flag as false. And I know between myself and Eric and, you know, a few others, we came up with some interesting ones. I forgot all of them. But obviously, since you're, you know, you're the creator of this game, what are some more interesting factual points for items that would be labeled true that you think people would associate as being false or racist? Well, okay, I'll just say in general first because there's a lot, there's 400 cards in the game, so there's a lot for me to think of off the spot like that. But I think in general first, one thing I learned was it's really less about race and more about culture. Um, you just see some common themes in, in different cultures among Asians and blacks and Hispanics, and because I mean, most of it's US centric. So, I mean, there are some international questions. Um, are there some gender based questions that you think would yeah, drive so some people what, crazy? When I say it's racist, you know, right or racist, it's the game's about stereotypes. So racist is just it could includes gender, includes sexuality and all that stuff. So it's not just black and white. Um, so it's every stereotype. But the one the funny thing that I find actually is that there's a question I have that says um, 70, 78 percent of all hate crimes are committed by white people. And literally, I've asked that question probably to about 50 people, maybe 60 Every single one of them thinks it's true. Like immediately, they're like, "Oh yeah." Even most of the, most of which are white people. I, I would like, I would I would say it sounds pretty true. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Oh fuck, white people! They're all racist." <laughs> and I mean, the the number so seventy eight percent. The number the real number is forty eight percent, which you know comparatively is is for different. Um, that's a sixty percent factor of difference. So it's just kind of funny, like the misconceptions that people have. Another good one is um, 
which I never understood. But Polish people in America, like the American stereotype is that Polish people are dumb. And they actually, on average, have a higher IQ than Americans. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, there's some other good ones, though. There's some ones that 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 prove other stereotypes. Like, um, I'm trying to think. Oh, about something about women and parking. Like most women, most women fail their driver's test because they don't know how to park. So like, there's <laughs> there's some and, funny and ones. And don't there. and don't tell us if that's true or false. Let let the uh, <laughs> yeah. let the listeners play that through. Yeah. So there's some good ones in there. Like you know, every like. I, what, I, what I like about the game is I think it's informative because you'll learn some things, but I also think it's kind of funny. And if you're someone who can laugh at yourself and likes to laugh at other people, and just enjoy it. It's, it's a game. It's not fucking life or death. That's so. cool, man. Well, good luck with it. I'm looking forward to getting my, uh, my order as soon as your Chinese knockoff Alibaba <laughs> supplier sends it through. So Yeah. So cool. what about you? You're on some new business adventure. Um, yeah. Well, I've had a pretty eventful summer as well, so... Uh, to kick off the summer, one of my really good friends uh, here in Seattle got, got married in Italy. So me and a few buddies took a trip uh, out to Europe. So we flew into Milan, did a few nights in Milan, went to the Piedmont region of Italy, which is like the northern wine country, which was absolutely beautiful. And then we rented a car and drove up to Switzerland for, for a couple nights. So we, we kind of road tripped it through and that was uh, probably the highlight of my summer from a vacation slash trip standpoint. And then I came back and quit my job two weeks later. Um, so nice. I, I've emptied the cubicle in the literal sense. <laughs> um, hey Yeah, so I, I just had gotten promoted, which sounds really counterintuitive to, to quit after, you know, fucking promotion. But, um, you know, I've been at the company I was working at for about three years traveling pretty regularly, did some really good work and really helped to build, um, you know, a business out there. So after some thinking and kind of, you know, dabbling in other ventures, I decided to quit and, um, you know, kind of part-time helping my dad with his company. He's got a automotive distribution company. I'm working with him a bit on that. But in the background, um, working with a few folks to build something new and exciting, and we're going to be launching hopefully pretty soon here. So it still is around kind of the business strategy, business consulting world. Um, okay. But uh, I, I think it's going to be a lot more interesting and exciting for me to do that as a founder versus a guy that's hired. So what have you, because, you know, we both now started a business adventure and I'm wondering what you learn about starting a business that you didn't foresee or like, you know, a bump in the road or something, you know, a challenge or something that you face to try to start off or, or has it been pretty smooth because you're not really that deep into it yet? Good question. So I'm working with a few other folks to do it. Um, and I'll pull more on examples from this than I will from like Strive. Strive to me is like, it's great. We're still selling protein. Mm -hmm. It was more of like a pet project on the, on the side that I did over the course of like months. And it was kind of more of like when I felt like doing it. One thing that I've realized is when you do something like this full time, even though you're not getting paid, your job is to find the quickest avenue to make money. So when you were doing Writer Racist or I was doing Strive, again, I've got a regular flow of income coming in. Mm -hmm. Now I'm, you know, I'm cut off. I'm racing against the clock and you can, I can literally see, you know, my net worth slowly decrease, you know, by looking right. at charts and stuff on like personal capital and whatnot. So I think that's a big motivator. I think one of the other things that I've learned really quickly, and I've been thankful because I'm working with a really good group of folks, is that you really need to find people you trust 
and people that have a very similar, if not the same vision. I know having the same vision is actually really hard because people mm -hmm. interpret things differently. Things are very subjective. So, you know, being able to work with someone that you don't have to go through and explain your rationale 100%, just kind of hit the high points and have them know what you're thinking because getting consensus and approval with people that you're working with is is definitely paramount. I think for you it's probably different because you did, you know, write a racist on your own. It's kind of not in a selfish way, but it's it's Matt's vision, you know, fuck whatever yeah. anyone else says. Right. Uh, and I, I you know, you're fortunate enough to have friends that you could ask for thoughts and ideas, but you know, when you're entering when you're entering in a contractual obligation with someone, it's definitely important to uh to make sure that, you know, things are aligned. And then also just random shit like naming branding um mm -hmm. color palettes designs how you laid out lay out a website how you you know you may have one way of saying something but you want to give it the most pop and how you market it so you need to really yeah. think of the phrasing um and it's especially instrumental in consulting and in the services space because you're selling ideas and you're selling time um yeah. you know we're not necessarily selling a product so you know kind of our word is our bond in that sense yeah that's a good point that you mentioned about the branding and just i mean I'm having that issue too. It's just how to get it out there. Um, and the other thing is that I'm really not paranoid about, but one thing I do think about, like, you know, my wet dream about this game is that it goes viral and becomes a big thing. And because it's political, like maybe again, this is super fucking wet dream here, but like I could wind up on a talk show talking about the game if it goes super viral. I mean, you already, and, you already ended up on a, on a podcast talking about a podcast once before. Well, yeah, so. 45 people heard about it. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> But like, yeah, I mean, we're the, one, the one thing that I'm like, I'm not gonna say paranoid, but kind of lack of a better word is that because it's a very touchy subject, right? Race, religion, all that, that one of my cards or a handful of my cards are not really hundred percent factual. Like I, I misinterpreted because I did all the research myself. So I'm worried that, you know, what I'm putting out there maybe gets misinterpreted or, you know, I'm not, if I'm on TV talking about it, my name's attached to it. And one, like, one, oh, could say, one could say they would call it fake news. Maybe, <laughs> but the, the brilliance of the game though, is that I, I, uh, I will quote or what's the word I'm looking for cite the article or webpage that I got the information from. So really all I'm doing is saying in 2015, the New York times reported, blah, blah, blah. Is that right or true? I mean, is that true or false? So, yeah. you know, does, but does I, you know, I'm just worried about what, about what people think of me making that game because it's, you know, a lot of people hear that word racist and they think automatically, oh, it's a white guy making a game about racism. But a white guy that's partially Lebanese and looks very Jew. Uh, yeah. But so <laughs> here's a question. Does any part of you fear any type of blowback or reper repercussions coming your way from like a professional work standpoint? Like, oh, I don't know your company finds out that you're associated with this game. Yeah. They don't like it. You said something about, you know, fat people or Asians or Arabs or Jews and someone gets yeah. offended and you get a call from HR. So that's probably going to happen. But the way I look at it is if it gets to that point, if I'm on TV or if there's like headline news and my job finds out about it, I will Yay. have sold enough. I will have sold enough to uh, compensate my, my salary for a little bit. So that's kind of like the hedge against myself. It's like a built-in hedge. You know what though? I think having that mindset and that view is important, right? Like if you were, if you were fearful of what people would think about you or say about you from a professional work standpoint, then you wouldn't do it. And I think that's, you know, that partially dovetails to the theme of, you know, me kind of in a sense quitting my job without necessarily too much of worry or thought there, because at the end of the day, you're kind of chasing success for yourself more than you are you know, yeah, feeding, exactly. the feeding the beast. So yeah. congratulations to you on that, dude. Um, Thanks, 
So, yeah, I mean, if, if people want to learn more about the game, as Matt said, hit, hit up writerracist.com. Uh, talk to one of us on social media. We can connect you to where to buy the game. And I know that, I mean, you've got plans to do like to host parties and have, you know, game nights yeah. and things like that. So um, it, it should be cool. I think uh, once you get some more, you know, units sold and you get some feedback, I think it'd be cool to like think of an expansion pack. Oh, that's definitely the next step. If the game, you know, if I'm able to sell the game and get it out there, that's definitely going to happen. But anyway, enough about us being better than everybody else. Um, no, I'm kidding. You can edit that out. Yeah, and if you know, if you guys want to, if you guys want to send some uh, some food stamps no. or checks, I will receive them gratefully since I'm not I'm not making money right now. Um, no, but yeah. but 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 enough self promotion. Um, what else, what are you? Because it's been like three months, you know, all summer pretty much. We haven't done any uh, podcast. What's your biggest non political related item? Because you know, obviously, I think like North Korea or something like that would probably be like the major news headline. For most people, but like politics aside, what was like your major headline in pop culture or movies or whatever it might be? For the summer? Yeah, for the last three months. Um it's a good question, dude. So from a pop culture standpoint, I will say probably not the biggest, but the one that's more most timely. Last week I went and saw the movie It, mm-hmm. the Stephen King remake, and uh Apparently, it broke all box office projections and records for a horror movie ever. Wow. So that was pretty cool just to like think of a horror movie, like a new coming-of-age horror film that was actually really well done. I went and watched it. it. It's got some flaws, but overall, it was pretty good. Um, and then another thing that I would say is probably... How does it compare to the original? Well, the original was a show, right? It was a series. Um, yeah. I would say it's it's, it's very modern. Um feels a lot like Stranger Things on Netflix. Okay. Uh, they actually cast one of the kids from Stranger Things, but it's very similar to the original, I'd say. Remade pretty well. Um, the CGI kind of sucked, but it's actually really funny. Like, it was a funny movie. The entire time, it's like a bunch of teenagers bantering and, like, saying mom jokes and talking shit <laughs> to each other, which is actually really cool. <laughs> yeah. um, and then they, they band together and, you know, go after this monster, so... Um, it was good. I would say the other thing that I would mention, um, which closely ties to today's events, um, was the McGregor Mayweather fight. Yeah. So that was that was a big kind of whether you're a boxing fan or not, it was very timely pop culture. People were in the know about it, and uh, we'll get back to that fight in a minute. But today is probably the most anticipated boxing match for real actual boxing fans this past decade. So I know I think I've talked about both these guys before in, in subsequent podcasts, but today is the – it's probably – there's a ton of stuff that's up for grabs. It's allegedly the pound-for-pound pound fight, pound-for-pound um, pound meaning that it establishes the pound-for-pound pound best fighter across all weight classes, um, which just happens to fall you know, this time in the middleweight division. So the middleweight championship's up for grabs as well as the lineal championship in the middleweight division. Do you know what that is? Nope. So the lineal champ is, it's kind of stupid, but it for, I guess it's more boxing heritage. Um, lineal meaning, you know, through the line. So it's, they call it like the man who beat the man. So okay. if you go way back into the, basically the, the inception of the middleweight division, there was an original middleweight champion. And then someone who beats that guy and someone who beats that guy kind of running through the ranks becomes the lineal champ. So 
right now, the fight happening tonight is uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez. So they call him Canelo, which means cinnamon. He's redheaded, you know, cute name. So Canelo versus Triple G, Gennady Golovkin. Um, right Who now, uh, we'll get to that in a second. But mm. the lineal champion right now is Canelo because he beat Miguel Cotto, who beat, you know, so-and-so-and-so-and-so back in the day. So it kind of it doesn't really hold much clout with, you know, fans or analysts, but it's like a nice way to keep track of, like, how the championship is moving through the ranks. So the fight is probably three to four years, no, probably three years coming. Um, and both fighters are probably, in my book, the top three, top four pound-for-pound fighters. So to get to your question, who have I got? I think... Triple G, Gennady Golovkin will win due to the power and size advantage he has over Alvarez. But yeah. Alvarez is quicker. He's more of a counterfighter. He's, in my mind, like a Mexican boxing version of Mayweather. Mexican, Like when people say someone's a Mexican fighter, that means they tend to attack and go forward. Whereas okay. Mayweather was very reserved in the pocket, very Sounds defensive. Yeah. Yeah. So... One of the, I think the only loss that Canelo has is actually to Mayweather back in 2012. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I saw he was 49 and one and like Canelo, and so I looked it up to see who he lost to, and I was surprised to see Mayweather because everyone always talks about Mayweather, even though he's 50 and 0, as like a little bitch. And I'm like, well, if he beat Canelo, yeah, uh, Canelo. Canelo is also really young. I think he was like 21 or 22 at the time, so he's okay. definitely grown. Um, but the interesting thing with this fight is that both these fighters play into each other's strengths. Right. So as much as they like Canelo, I mean, by like heritage, he is a Mexican fighter. He's a little less of the aggressor, whereas Golovkin is a really big Mexican style boxer. He's like Mm -hmm. a shark goes forward. So Golovkin's actually, this is an interesting fact. He's Kazakhstani, like Borat, Mm. I guess you could say. (laughs) Um, But I just, I didn't know this until like a week ago. Kazakhstan actually is like the ninth largest country in the world. Serious? Yeah. In terms of size or population or what? What do you mean ninth largest? Like population. Okay. It's massively populous. So, um, but back to the styles here. So Golovkin is an attacker, an aggressor, a power puncher. Um, I actually, I just posted a Instagram video um, to, you know, rep the fight just being a you know, old amateur boxer myself. I love promoting whenever I can. But watch that video on my Instagram, at uh, Haas Khalifi. It just kind of shows them both training, where Golovkin is mm-hmm. definitely power punching, going after um, the knockout, going after the hit, whereas Canelo is more speed, uh, counter punching, counter fighting. So seeing a aggressor matched with a counter fighter, they play into each other's strength perfectly. So a lot of people are saying that this fight could potentially end in knockout. I, I'd love to see that. I think that's a great way to promote the fight, but I don't think it'll happen because both these fighters have so much on the line that I don't think they want to expose themselves early mm-hmm. or often to uh, to knock out. So about this fight in contrast to Mayweather-McGregor, because I feel like a, yeah, like a boxing enthusiast knows about this fight. I mean, maybe some average people, like, you know, average consumers of boxing too, but like everyone, even my mom, knew about McGregor and Mayweather, right? That was pop culture, like you said. So... So the thing is, like, so Mayweather McGregor, you had a guy who was retired, who was 40 years old, basically, who was out of boxing for two years, and you had a guy who's never basically boxed professionally ever. So you just had, it was pretty much a shit show and a spectacle. So the average person who saw that fight probably got a very bad window into what boxing is. Whereas this fight... I, I'll, I'll disagree. Should... And I would have probably agreed with you before that fight happened, and I... 
it sounds dumb, but I spent a lot of time kind of like internalizing why that fight was so successful and so popular and what it was. And you say that they would have gotten a bad window. So to start with that, I, I don't think that was actually a bad fight. I think that was a decent boxing match to watch. I think it had a lot of action. I think that it had a few plot twists and it had a few things that weren't expected. But back to the idea of the circus and the spectacle, I can kind of agree with that because that was a fight that should have never happened. But let's break down why it happened. It wasn't something that early on McGregor or Mayweather actually wanted. That fight was actually somewhat demanded by the people. Like the mm-hmm. like it was sports analysts and people on social media and UFC and boxing enthusiasts saying like, wouldn't it be cool if? And what that was, what the statement was, wouldn't that be cool if a UFC fighter and a boxer got in the ring together? Because that's something that's been talked about forever. You know, like how do these two worlds combat? Right. And then you know, when you layer on the next point of that, you know, you peel back the onion a bit, it became, holy shit, what if McGregor and Mayweather fought and, you know, it was circulated for a couple of years, actually, and never happened because McGregor was so entrenched in UFC and Mayweather was retiring. So when it kind of hit critical mass and boiled over, you had McGregor basically say, like, fuck, if we can make money on this, let's do it. So I, I still think it was definitely a spectacle. I wouldn't call it a circus because, you know, it... The fight happened, it happened well, and people wanted to see it. So I could definitely see it being a spectacle, but I wouldn't call it a circus. The, you know, people wanted to see it. They promoted the fight um, the right way. Like, the promotion was kind of circusy and dumb, but when you came to the actual fight, I think McGregor trained pretty well. Like, he trained like a fighter would. I mean, the guy's a professional fighter, and it's, also, yeah. it's not like he doesn't know how to box. And he came in the there... Fight, and- no. Agreed. The fight was entertaining, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is, oh, I'm trying to draw the contrast between a fight between... Uh, basically an amateur boxer versus a guy who's been retired for two years who's 40 versus another fight that has two guys in their prime who most consider the top two boxers pound for pound currently like the difference in it, it's you know the difference in i guess one is more for the mat public as a mass because it's it, it's got that pop culture feel the way it. it's got that nuance of ooh this is interesting i've never seen a ufc fighter in a boxing ring before it, it's more of a spectacle where the other fight is, if you're, if you're really into fighting, that's a better pure fight. It has to be. Yeah, and, and fair, and that's a good point. I think I'm trying to defend the fight a bit because I actually did enjoy it. Me too. I, mean, I will say there was, no, there was no belt on the line. It was more of bragging rights, and it was just you know, a way to make money. But I, I'll, I'll tip my hat to McGregor for coming in and doing something that people thought would not be possible. He looked like a boxer for a few rounds. He just you know, gassed out at the end. Yeah. But to the point you made, one thing I will agree with is – you know, it was definitely entertaining. It was for the masses, and it was done for a specific reason. Oscar De La Hoya, who Golden Boy Promotions is actually promoting the Canelo Alvarez and mm-hmm. Golovkin fight tonight, came on and said that, like, it's a disgrace to boxing. It should have never happened. And I think he said something around, like, you know, like, fuck that fight. <laughs> sure, like, I get it. You're trying to promote your fight. But to that point, like, I think he could have played off much better by being in attendance, showing goodwill to the sport of boxing, yeah. and using that platform to m- promote the fight that happened in a month instead of, like, saying, oh, you know, like, fuck that fight. Like, this is a disgrace to boxing. Like, Mayweather, like, he's a chump, blah, blah, It's like, dude, you're getting so much publicity and press for your sport, and on the heels of this fight, you've got probably the biggest fight in the past 10 to 15 years. Like, you're going to act like a fool and talk shit? Well, that's stupid, yeah, but, I mean... 
I, I guess he's just a purist, right? Most purists probably looked at that fight and thought it was stupid, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a, it was a spectacle. Are and, you watch uh, Are you watching tonight's fight? Or are you uh, gonna? Yeah, uh, no, I'm, draw, I'll be draw, out, so. draw cards and make a, yeah, make board games. Make make more racist games. No, uh, I'll be out, so I'll, it'll be on. I'll watch it. But the other one, the other fight, I made a point to watch it. I was actually in Cusco at the time, and I was like, "Fuck it, I want to watch this fight because it's the kind of thing that everyone's going to talk about." Whereas this fight, yeah, boxing fans are going to talk about it, but. The average Joe is really doesn't fucking care. You know, I I I'll, I disagree with that. I which think, is just funny because again, it's it's a much better fight on paper. You know, I'll disagree with that. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot more people than I expected, know about this fight, and I think mm-hmm. to an extent, I expected no one to know about it. So here in Seattle, it's actually kind of hard to find a bar that's showing it. But all of my friends, who like I don't have friends because of boxing, I just there are people I know. Um, some of them have never boxed in their lives. Like they know about the fight and we're actually going to get a group of people to watch it tonight. So I'll say it kind of falls somewhere between your thought and my thought of the popularity of it. But I will say that it's, it's surpassed um, my expectations on people knowing about it. And for me, that really excites me because boxing's getting yeah. back to the mainstream. You've got guys like Klitschko that everyone used to know and Anthony Joshua who fought a few months ago. You've got McGregor Mayweather. You've got this fight happening. Terrence Crawford is coming back in the scene. There's a lot happening. So I'm excited for the sport. All right. We'll talk to you then. Cool. Thanks, bud. <laughs> what, what else is happening in the uh, in the world of sports since we're on the topic? And I, I don't think we want to cover politics this time. Maybe. No, episode, enough of that shit. We, we can talk about politics on episode 16, which hopefully will be like 2021. Yeah, <laughs> at this rate. No, to me, to me, the biggest story this summer for me was sports related. And I guess it's kind of twofold. Uh, 1A is LeBron basically announcing to the world without saying it that he's leaving Cleveland. Like, if you think LeBron's staying in Cleveland, you're a jackass. Wait, what do you mean uh, without announcing it to the world? Well, he, he hasn't said anything, but his silence is deafening because basically since game three of the finals, Jalen Rose has been beating the drum. LeBron's gone. And then Stephen A. Smith joined in. And actually, as much as people hate on Stephen A. Smith for being a fucking jackass, like, the guy knows his shit. He called LeBron going to Miami months in advance. Uh, he called LeBron going back to Cleveland. I mean, I did too. It was pretty obvious, but whatever. Like when he says something, insider information type stuff, Jalen Rose too, they know what they're talking about. Like they hear things before it's like really, you know, headline news. So anyway, LeBron's leaving Cleveland, which in turn made his teammate Kyrie Irving, who's a mega star in his own right, say, fuck this. I don't want to stay in Cleveland. Kyrie signed to, he signed uh, three or four years ago to stay in Cleveland before LeBron came back. And Kyrie thought it was going to be his own team. LeBron comes back and Kyrie's just like, I don't want to play with this asshole. This guy's a like, this guy's an egomaniac. So Kyrie now demanded a trade and now he got traded to Boston. They swapped their starting point guards, basically like their franchise players pretty much. And um, it's just crazy to see the top two teams in the East trade. Well, Cleveland traded their second best player and Boston played uh, traded their best player. And just the, the ramifications of that are pretty crazy to me. So it's twofold. LeBron leaving, which in turn led to Kyrie getting asking for a trade. So I get that there's you know questions about LeBron and his permanence to the city of Cleveland with the trades and whatnot, and him being quiet. But I don't. Can you really read into that the way that Stephen A. Smith and all the analysts and someone like you reads into it? Because the guy just got torched, right? Like the finals was to me a very big letdown for the entire city of Cleveland, especially LeBron. So him being quiet. I can understand that on the same token, like couldn't his couldn't his quiet demeanor be interpreted as like just going to let this 
all boil over. I'm going to come back and we're going to get serious instead of like making announcements and talking about shit and defending people. And like, that's kind of his MO. LeBron's always been like, you know, cards pretty close to the chest and not giving away too much. I agree with that. But Stephen A. Smith and Jalen Rose aren't saying that because he's quiet. They're saying that because they know people in LeBron's camp. And subsequent to them saying that, LeBron's been quiet. So what came first was Jalen Rose and Stephen A. Smith, Stephen A. Smith saying, oh, he's going, to, he's going to Lakers, like, book it, it's done, it's over. And in the three months since then, LeBron's done nothing. Hey, we had our little um, CNN moment right there. I'm watching you on Skype. Uh- Oh yeah, we we've, we've got, we've got, a, we've got a video share. <laughs> yeah, the, the little, the little <laughs> and Haas, kid and Haas's housekeeper just came in to get the little to get the little kid <laughs> coming no, into the room. Um, I, I got my uh, my pre workout, so I'm gonna be sucking that down. Um, anyway, because yeah. I'm not so a without, chicken dancer. Without so, any visuals, that made no sense to anybody. But anyway, getting back to what I was saying, Stephen A. Smith and um, Jalen Rose know. That's what I'm trying to say. Like they they're in tune. They know ex players. They know current players. They know families. They know everybody. And they're basically saying he's going to the Lakers. And since LeBron has only done things or said things or not said things to make it seem more obvious. But the other thing is, so what came out of all the Kyrie drama was before Kyrie got traded, the Cavaliers had a chance to trade for Paul George. And shit, they were going to trade two, two guys. It was Paul George and maybe Chris Paul, but definitely Paul George. But what's his face? The owner, Dan Gilbert of Cleveland, said, LeBron, I need you to commit. If I'm going to make this trade and get Paul George and another superstar for you, I need you to commit. And LeBron didn't commit. So th- that tells you everything right you there. You know, now that you kind of analyze, and this is a stock trader in me, you're analyzing past patterns to predict future movements, right? And yeah. That makes a lot more sense than e-news, girl gossip, he's been quiet, we've heard this, we've heard that, because that makes a lot more sense. What do you think from a legacy standpoint, if he was to burn Cleveland twice and leave, do you think that puts a do you, do you think that puts a blemish on his legacy as a all-time great? No, I mean he's he's going to go down top 5 player. I mean, that's that's already set in stone, but I do think it's going to affect how people view him. Um, I mean, you're asking the wrong person. Like, if LeBron puts on his left sock before his right sock, I say he's a fucking asshole. Yeah, dude, <laughs> no if, matter what if, he if does. If LeBron went to, like, Sierra Leone and <laughs> by hand fed a bunch of starving children and gave immunizations, you'd still say that he's doing it for, like, the wrong reasons. Yeah, I hate him. So, But, I mean, look, there's, there's something to be said for if – you're just swapping teams every time, and especially like breaking Cleveland's heart again. Like he when he when he came back, he wrote the letter like I'm going to retire here, I'm here for good, all that stuff. I mean, people say he gave him a championship so he can do what he wants to do, and he can do what he wants to do. But there's no doubt he's just going to kind of look like a a basketball mercenary in a way if he's just jumping team to team to team every four years. Um, the all-time greats just don't have that quality to them. Duncan, Jordan. Bird, Magic, Kobe. I mean, Kobe, yeah, all these guys, Dirk, like... Uh, Jordan went to the White Sox. <laughs> yeah, and, and the Wizards, and the Wizards, but, you know, but... Bob, but the Bobcats. There's other guys, too, like Carl Malone, who joined the Lakers in this last year or two, but they, when you spend 20 years in one city and two in another, fine, no big deal, but if it's every four years you're jumping around, I don't know, it just kind of seems odd, and it just doesn't kind of feel right, but I guess that's kind of the difference of sports today versus sports when we were growing up. It's it's a generational difference too, right? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. you look. So before I fucking quit my job, um, I had made three to four career changes in the past seven or eight years, and 
to our generation, that doesn't sound like too much, right? Like, okay, like once every few years, it's a little on the heavier side because it, you know, yeah. averages less than three years. But you look back at my dad who started his career and retired at the same company he was at for, you know, 20 odd some years and worked his way up the ranks. That generation, our parents' generation, or even, you know, slightly after that, there was a lot more, um, I don't want to say allegiance, but a lot more commitment to where you were and the situation and the cart, the hands you were dealt um, mm-hmm. than we have now, because I think we're more in a position where we can change and modify or almost act like our own front office, you know, whether it's sports or career right. versus a lot of other, uh, you know, older generations. So I, I, I get that. Uh, one thing I will say that I'm a little disappointed about with the whole trade and whatnot is uh, Isaiah Thomas leaving yeah. leaving uh leaving Boston. I was kind of bummed because he built such a name for himself of being this underdog or, or kind of like a miracle worker, right? Like mm-hmm. I remember I was in Chicago for work and we were watching that playoff game and he just lit it up. I forgot what he put up on the board that night, but it was like 50 some odd points. It was over 50, yeah. And you and I were texting um this is after episode 14 because we don't like fucking talking to you guys, but uh <laughs> we were we were texting and I like we kept going. There were three or four moments where we were like, no fucking way. No fucking way. Yeah. He made it happen. Yeah. He made it happen. So he established himself as being this miracle worker of sorts, this underdog, you know, the unfortunate story with his sister. He had so much love in the city of Boston that in my mind, I saw him growing into being this permanent figure, like, you know, Big Poppy, um, mm-hmm. or like, I don't want to say Tom Brady, but like someone who became this like loving figure to Boston. And I was like, yeah fuck like it was i was kind of disappointed like he's not going to have the same reputation he's going to have anywhere else so no and, and just for our listeners no so isaiah thomas was the point guard for boston celtics he's five foot seven on a good day so he's really small he's uh his contract is like six or seven million dollars which is great for us but comparatively to the nba like most star point guards which he is a star point guard make 30 million so he's vastly underpaid he had like a broken hip. His his uh, sister died in a in a tragic car accident during the playoffs, and broke the guy his, played broke through. His, yeah, broke his tooth. Yeah, he played through everything, and this guy's the shortest guy in the NBA, pretty much. You know, at least that plays any meaningful minutes. And uh, yeah, like he embodied Boston culture, right? You know, hashtag Boston strong. But like, he was legit, and I feel bad for him. But at the end of the day, if I'm running that team, if I'm Danny Ainge, their GM, I'm trading him too. He's just he's limited. If you're five seven, there's really only so far I can go with you. I, I just hope that, you know, whatever contract he gets, he's compensated well for it. And I hope that he just lights it up because I don't know, I like I'm not the tallest guy in the world, neither are you. Like we're pretty like similar build and stature. I'm taller than him. Well, yeah, but like I've I've always kind of <laughs> I've always kind of rooted or um you know, aligned myself to the underdog because I think it's like, you know, it's kind yeah. of who 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 I kind of identify with myself. So I hope the guy like becomes like a, a real big name in the league. Well, he, he's 29, so I mean, he's pretty much where he is. But like, I don't think he's going to wind up getting paid, which is unfortunate. Just bad timing. If he was a free agent two years ago, he would have got a $200 million contract. But now he's a free agent next year. And like I said, he, he had a, a problem with his hip and he's going to be turning 30. He'll get some money, but nowhere near. He'll, he might get a three-year deal for like $20 million each year, which is great, but I mean, dude, yeah. if Jeremy Lin can get a massive contract from uh, the Houston Rockets, I mean, I get he was younger, different position, taller. Asian. Yeah, fucking Asian guy, though. Um, I, I think, could you see Isaiah getting, like, a, a nice contract for, like, a six-man-off-the-bench, like, grind it, grind it out kind of deal? 
Well, I mean, that's kind of where he is now, but he, he wants to be paid like he, I mean, he was a semi MVP candidate this year, like top five. He was like the fifth in MVP voting. He, like I said, if, if, if two years ago, he would have signed a $200 million contract over five years, but now he's going to probably sign a three year, maybe $80 million contract. I mean, it's still really good, but comparatively you got fucked. I, dude, you pay me three, uh, you pay me $80 million for three years. I'll do a lot more than fucking shoot a basketball. Yeah, I mean, me too, but <laughs> So, so there's not much else happening at least that I know about in the uh in the NBA offseason. Hey, what about the Knicks? They're always in the news for like unfortunate instances, and I know that um along with your hatred for LeBron, most of the rest of the world has that same hatred for Carmelo. Yeah, me too, actually. Um I don't know, I think Melo's garbage. I think he's overrated. He's kind of a dick too, so I don't really have much to say about him. Other than that. Okay, well, yeah, I just I haven't heard anything, um, any development. Oh, about... as far as like his status? No, yeah. yeah, I mean, he wants to get traded, but he he has what they call a no trade clause. So if the Knicks try to tra- trade him just to any any team, Carmelo can veto it. He has the power to veto it. Only him and LeBron and maybe and Dirk Nowitzki, I think. So three players in the entire league have that. It's very rare, but uh, Carmelo has that. He's getting paid, I think, over the next two years, maybe $30 million a year, whatever it is. And so he's not a really good player anymore. Um, some people still think he's got a little bit left in the tank. So the Houston Rockets want him, but the Houston Rockets have nobody to trade to the Knicks. So basically they're at an impasse. Camarillo wants out, but he only wants to go to Houston. And the Knicks have – Houston has nothing to give the Knicks. So hmm. he's going to fuck. Yeesh. Okay, cool. Well, I don't don't, yeah. don't care too much about that. Yeah, um oops. I guess before we were at like 46 minutes, we'll do a quick uh, NFL recap, I guess. So as most of you guys know, the NFL season kicked off uh, week two this week. Week one was actually kind of weird. I think there was a lot of, um, yeah, it just, it, it didn't play out the way I thought it would. And like, I guess, you know, a cherry on top would be New England losing to Kansas City, which I think no one uh, foresaw unless you're a Kansas City fan and you just, you think they're going to win every game. But it was just kind of like a weird week for me. I mean, especially like even every game so far that's come through has not been playing out the way it, no. I thought it would. I think in general, the NFL season kind of follows a general current of kind of strength or power rankings. And this week and um, last week was just kind of odd. So I'm not sure if you've got a take on things. So I don't I'm starting to think the NFL is in big trouble. I mean, not big trouble, but compared to where they used to be. Um, so ratings have been going down every year, like for the last two or three, maybe four years. It's been on a, a slide. And I had the same thing that you thought, but even stronger about week one. Like week one was so bad. I mean, even before the week started, there were a few games I thought would be decent. But you look across the landscape of the NFL, like the Houston Texans played the Jaguars. You had Blake Bortles starting against Tom Savage. You had just... You had other shitty quarterbacks. I'm trying to think of the other games. Oh, like the Rams versus the Colts. The Colts were playing Scott Tolzien, like their third string quarterback. And the Rams have a fucking garbage second year player quarterback. Like you look across so many teams and games. I, I mean, the NFL has always had bad, some bad teams and some bad quarterbacks, but now it just seems like it's more than ever, like percentage wise. I, I can think of maybe six quarterbacks that are pretty good week in, week out. But. I don't know, dude. Like every game, like I, there just aren't that many good teams. There aren't the, like even when the Titans played the Raiders, those are decent teams. But I don't give a shit. Like so, I don't want to watch that anymore. So what you're getting is, I think, um, it's a bit of. Let me tie this back actually to combat sports, to UFC and boxing. Is 
when UFC really came on the scene, they started developing really good talent, really good characters and people you cared about, right? Mm-hmm. That's what boxing's doing now. Again, they've got a resurgence of characters and personalities and talent. You know, it's a mix of the two. To your point, I think like, I mean, so Kansas City and New England is actually interesting because you've got on one side a yeah. team that's touted and then you've got like this underdog story of like Alex Smith and, um, you know, Tyreek Hill that, or no, what was his name? Yeah. The running yeah, back. Yeah, Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt. Yeah, yeah, Kareem yeah, Hunt. Hunt. Yeah. Um, like they're coming on the scene, but to your point, like Blake Bortles, you got Savage, you got like Trevor Simeon, like... I, so Simeon's actually like yeah. not too bad, but like there's these guys that no one gives a shit about, and they're actually not really top talent. I mean, they got drafted high because I think the talent pool is dwindling a bit, but you better believe that the reason Sunday night and Monday night games are stacked with teams that people care about is because no one's going to tune in to fucking watch the Jaguars play like God Anybody. knows. Yeah, anyone. like, <laughs> And I, I still think there is like a silver lining here where you still have enough talent to keep the ball rolling, but I definitely agree with you. Like, there is a demand for well, for better football, and it's not happening at least in the first two weeks of the week. So of the league, there's six there's sixteen teams in the AFC, and I'm gonna name I'm gonna name probably I'm gonna go for ten. I'm gonna go for ten teams that I can I I don't care who the fuck they're playing. I'm not watching it because that the team that I'm mentioning sucks. Okay, starting the AFC East. You got the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Bills. Jets, Dolphins, Bills, right there. There's three of them. I don't care who the fuck they play. I would watch. I would watch the Bills. I think the Bills are. The Bills have who? Well, I I would watch them (laughs) to watch them. Not like not from a competitive standpoint, but like no, I I think they've got they've got a decent defense. No, they suck. But wait, let let me finish. I want to see how many teams I can name that that are that are like at best mediocre. Because okay, the Bills aren't trash, but they're they're no better than mediocre. So Jets, Dolphins, Bills. Okay, the entire AFC South. Texans, Jaguars, Titans, and Colts are all with, especially without Andrew Luck, who's going to miss this year. It seems like those four teams are fucking garbage. Dude, that, so that's that, seven teams. I've only done two. Wait, hold on, hold on. I, I've only done finish. two divisions. I let you finish. That entire South right. division is a steaming pile of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I think you. I think you and I could walk on and get a decent shot at quarterback. <laughs> Dude, that team, that, that whole division is garbage. So I've, I've mentioned two divisions that have a total of eight teams. And the only team I didn't mention that was straight garbage was the Patriots. So seven out of eight of those teams are fucking garbage. Okay, then you move to the Steelers division. The Browns obviously are in there. And I'm going to throw the Bengals in there now because they've played eight quarters with zero <laughs> touchdowns. That, so, game was, that game was hilarious. Um, yeah. No, I was going to say, so I left out the Ravens and Steelers are obviously, you know, Ravens aren't great, but they're good. I mean, they're watchable. They're always interesting and the Steelers are good. And Okay. So I have nine teams so far with one division to go. The AFC West, that actually, that division is actually pretty decent. If I want to reach for a 10th team, because I did promise 10, I would say the Chargers. Um, the Chargers will probably win five games this year. They're not like, they're kind of like the Bills where they're not total fucking garbage, but they're really not worth watching. If the Chargers are playing anybody any of those other teams i just mentioned i have no fucking interest in watching that game even if they're playing a division rival like do i really give a fuck not really so yeah there's 10 so in the <laughs> nf in the nfc north um i'm actually surprised by the competition there and i look you you go back a few years like i'd say the lions are trash and just because i'm from detroit i'm actually not a lions fan but they're a team i actually enjoy and appreciate watching even the minnesota vikings are are kind of fun to watch so i would say that entire north division's like they're pretty they're pretty watchable you got the bears the lions yeah, the, Packers, the bears and the Vikings. suck but 
Yeah, the Bears kind of suck, but I, I they're playing in a division that I think has rising talent that they're worth watching just to see if they can float and compete. And especially now that they don't have Jay Cutler, like I fucking hated that yeah. guy. And I, th- I think that he was actually a X factor for why they weren't able to compete. Um, who is their starting quarterback now? I have no idea, actually. That's Mike Glennon. See, back so, to the point earlier, like there's no exactly. personalities. No but, talent. But their, their backfield's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they play in a division that has a, a lot of history, too. So if the Bears play the Packers. But, but put it this way. If there's a Thursday night game of Bears-Vikings... I'm not like I three or four or five years ago when I was more into sports, I guess, like, or I don't know what the fuck I would watch that game in a heartbeat. I also used to gamble on football. So you gamble on football, you watch every game. But at this point, I could I couldn't give two shits about Vikings Bears. I just don't care. Vikings Packers. Yeah, I'll watch that game. Probably. Maybe. But, you know, there's there's just half the league is just un, I'm not gonna say unwatchable, but there's no reason to watch. It's just it doesn't it fucking cares. And you can say that about the NBA too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the NBA is less teams actually than, that are worth watching. But um, I just feel like surrounding – like the NBA has a lot of interesting things that go on off the court, all the drama between the personalities. Like you mentioned, the personalities is a big thing. In football, you got Tom Brady and Roger Goodell. Like that's all you fucking got. Do you think the – from a business standpoint or a marketing standpoint, do you think the expansion into Europe is going to do them any favors? No. I See, I think, I think football – is suffering the reason ratings are down i think there's a lot of reasons um one is the oversaturation so the in, thursday night football i don't know was that like five six years old now probably that has hurt because it used to be when you were a kid you got sunday football and then one monday night game now we have um the thursday game we have the london games on sundays that are at 9 a.m then we have the one of one o'clock four o'clock games that we always had um you have the monday night doubleheader week one like you have all these extra games on tv and as we just mentioned, only about 10 teams are worth watching. So half these national televised games are just this is garbage. Like, I don't really fucking care. Like, it, Texans Bengals was fucking horrible. Like, I, I couldn't watch it. So, so me, you, and Zach, who um, in 2021, when we get episode 16 up, we got to get him back on. Um, we should actually talk <laughs> sports. So you, myself, and Zach were kind of chatting on, on Facebook during that game. That was an example of, like poor performance at its wor- at, at its best, right? So I would probably, mm-hmm. I disagree with you on the oversaturation. I would say if there was an oversaturation, but these games were watchable, um, things might turn around a bit. But like, they, they're just not like, so even if that was a high scoring game, like it was played so poorly that it just, it wasn't something I wanted to yeah. see. So I don't know. I think, I think at the end of the day, if they can get better talent into the pool and i think obviously it comes from like how they farm it right you farm you farm athletes from from college you look at the the mlb they farm athletes they've got a farm league they've got different divisions within those leagues and they've got college so i think they've got a different pool to pull from um yeah and then in the nba i I, i'm not too big of an nba fan unless you're in postseason but i'm not even sure like what that looks like i know they get some athletes from high school um but it just seems like in the nba you've got guys that you build a bit more of a personal connection with that they're more of like these characters. And in the NFL, you've got fucking guys like, yeah. you know, Savage and Simeon and, you know, who the fuck else? I got no idea. Um, these like these no names that you don't really care for. And then you've got like other interesting guys like like um, Carr from the Raiders who had like a breakout season last year. He's got a little bit of, mm-hmm. um, you know, fanfare around him. So it's finding more of those kind of guys that you want to kind of get behind or just see how they perform. Um and you build a bit of a story around it, but 
otherwise like yeah you put another game on like the fucking Bengals and texans and it's laughable because every um you know every down could have been a sack interception or fumble like that's not that's not a game i want to watch no no i think so i i i still think the oversaturation is a thing though because you mentioned that there's not a big talent pool so if you have the more national televised games you have the less you, you can't put the cowboys on thursday sunday and monday night right they're gonna play once so the more national televised games you have you need more teams to pull in to that audience and they just don't have enough teams unless you unless you put on the Patriots and Cowboys and Giants every week, which you can't do. So that's the problem. I think that that's why I say oversaturation is a problem. But I think obviously maybe to a lesser degree, I don't think it's really a real issue. But people say it is is the Kaepernick thing, you know, the whole national anthem protest. You had the domestic violence thing with Ray Rice. I just think year after year after year of all this nonsense, I think people have slowly turned away from football. I mean, the ratings are down, so can we, I don't can know we what talk the reason about, is. Can we talk about, I want, I know it's a bit political, but I'm actually really interested in your take as well as hearing back from uh, our listeners on what their thoughts are. What's your thought on the whole Kaepernick being blackballed thing and the fact that like Ray Rice said that he was lobbying to get Kaepernick a position at the Ravens. And then did you hear about this whole thing? His girlfriend like tweeted something out that was racist and then they like dropped it. Yeah, I was away when that happened. But my understanding is that they were quote unquote Ray Rice and the owner of the Ravens were like quote unquote for three days trying to figure out if they should uh, sign him or not. And then his girlfriend tweeted that. So like they already waited three days and didn't move on it. I think, I don't think they were going to sign him either way. And then she, yeah, I think she did a, I want to say she did a Photoshop of them looking like they were slave owners from Django, maybe like a Photoshop of Ray Rice and the owner of the Ravens from like a picture of Django, the movie. I didn't see it, so I don't really know. I can't comment too much on it. But it sounds like it's kind of bullshit because she tweeted it days after they pretty much already said no. So it's not really a good excuse. Yeah, I mean, do you well? Do you think it's being blackballed? No, there there are other players in the NFL today who are raising a fist or taking a knee during the anthem that are still playing. Um, So it's not solely that. It's a combination of him being a distraction and not being good enough. Even though, yes, he's better than Scott Tolzien and Blake Portals and Tom Savage and maybe 10 other quarterbacks in the NFL. But he's not good enough to warrant the distraction. And I don't necessarily think that's cool. Like if I was a team that we just mentioned, I probably would sign him and just say, fuck it, give him a shot. So that's where – so I think I would say – for the exact reason you mentioned that there are other players taking a knee or like wearing like um, armbands and whatnot that they are doing that in protest of Kaepernick not being in the league. But like to your point exactly, like he is much better than probably half the quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And I think he is a bit of a distraction, but it's not like he's uh, Terrell Owens or someone else that's making a fuss. The guy is absolutely quiet about what he's doing. So you can't tell me that like, Okay, let's list some quarterbacks here that he's better than. Cody Kessler, um, Christian Hackenberg, uh, Brian Hoyer, Matt Matt Barkley. To your point, oh like Glennon, um, Blake Bortles. Who else? Tom uh, Savage. Tom Savage. <laughs> Scott Tolzien. Scott Tolzien. Um, who else? Well, I'll say I'll say this. I can't say he's better than those guys, but he's certainly not worse. I mean, he's probably better. 
to than some of them, maybe as good or as I should say as bad as, as some of the others. But I guess the overall thing is though, it's let's look at Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys running back, who is going back and oscillating between being suspended or not for domestic violence charges. So Ray Rice punched his girlfriend on video or fiance on video and got a two game suspension and then wound up basically being out of the NFL for, for good. And, but the thing is he wasn't, he was on the decline. He wasn't really that, he wasn't really that good anymore. Ezekiel Elliott is going to face maybe a suspension and come back and still be a pro bowler because he's still, he's 22 and he's fucking awesome. So my point is, is like if Ray Rice was awesome, he would be in a league right now, but he was on the decline. He became the poster child for domestic violence and he got fucked. I think the same thing happened with Kaepernick. Kaepernick's not the only guy to protest the anthem, but he his skills were diminishing. Well, he's and a, he's he a became poster, the poster child. Yeah, he's a poster yeah. child for it. But yeah, for anyone that says that it's a pure business reason is like is out of their minds because at the end of the day, the guy is definitely he's a he's proven he's a Super Bowl caliber athlete. He definitely, in my mind, is good. And I don't want to say the word deserves because I think like deserving is the wrong word to use. But he's definitely good enough to be on a practice squad, a third stringer, mm-hmm. a backup. And at this point, like, I'm not sure if he's making money elsewhere with any sponsors. So like, I, if I were him, I'd be more than willing to sign a contract that's less than what I was making before. So it, it's it's unfortunate because I think at the end of the day, like he wasn't a great quarterback, but like he was someone I enjoyed watching. He was quick in the pocket, quick on his feet. He had a cannon for an arm, like built like a tank. Like the guy was an NFL quarterback. And now like, I wouldn't be surprised if a team does pick him up sometime mid season after a few injuries, like the bears or the Jets well, or the Jaguars. I don't know. I think he's pretty much done, but you know, what's interesting is that like, I mean, when you say business reason, I think you mean performance related, like, cause business reason, I would say, well, the reason is you don't want to alienate your fan base to yeah. have a guy who's not really worth it on your Fo- team. Football reason. But what's interesting about that. So, right, right, right. But what's interesting about that. So that's, that's the, that's the, what people assume ownership feels like in the NFL. But I don't know if you heard kind of sort of related, I guess, kind of in terms of alienating fan base is Jamel Hill. She's a ESPN. Uh, she co-hosts uh, sports center with Michael Smith, Jamel Hill. And she tweeted out about Trump being a white supremacist. And there's a lot of hubbub about that now. Like, you know, should ESPN get rid of her because, you know, ESPN sports and now she's making a political stance and she might even be right that he's a white supremacist. But at the end of the day, it's just kind of interesting that like sometimes speaking out will get you canned in a heartbeat and other times, I guess it all depends who you work for. But, you know, that I'm just curious what your take is on that because, I mean, that obviously if you're ESPN, you really don't want to get political you just want to kind of keep it down the middle and just not really get involved in that Uh, so less about espn and them being in that but like fuck man this whole fucking pussification of like the outlet of news whether it's sports or otherwise like in juxtaposition to who our fucking president is who now is setting the precedent saying that he can do and say whatever the fuck he wants no matter how politically correct or incorrect it may be but then you've got these corporations who, you know, a commentator or correspondent says something that's a little political. And then there's, you know, news about should she be canned or not? Or someone on TV says or does something and, you know, it, it strikes a chord or, you know, an athlete like Kaepernick. But on the flip side, you've got Trump who literally can do and say whatever he wants. And he is the yeah. president and he gets away with it. So 
you know, obviously don't say things and don't do things that are going to jeopardize your character in a negative fashion or, you know, put down others, you know, the whole cliche, you know, do unto others as you want done to you. Obviously, don't be an idiot and don't go above and beyond in trying to offend or add shock value in the news. But at the same time, if you're speaking your mind, you're doing it in a way that is in in a sense, you know, maybe it could be provocative, but is respectful and is not necessarily, you know, pushing the boundary. Like calling Trump a white supremacist is really not that out of the ordinary. Like, look who the guy associates with. So, like, I get yeah. that. Um, but this whole idea that you have to censor yourself because you don't want to offend others. It's very inauthentic. And in today's climate, whether it's sports or politics or pop culture, like people want and crave and respect authenticity. So to put a boundary or draw a line in the sand around that, I think, you know, limits just culture in general, dude. Like, fuck, that's stupid. I can't argue with your point. Um, I will say, though, I don't know. I will say what she did. She could have just said, I don't like Trump or Trump shouldn't shouldn't associate with white supremacists. But just to flat out call him one and it's a sports show, I, I can see why people are like, hey, like stick to sports, go fuck yourself. Like, But yeah, I mean, obviously the way he handled Charlottesville, and now to get to, we'll probably end the podcast soon anyway, but how he handled Charlottesville was really bad. <laughs> so I can see, you know, how people say those things. And, and, you know, obviously it's a little hyperbolic, but I get it. Yeah, so I don't know. That that's kind of where I am as a full theme for where we are kind of today across, you know, a multitude of different areas, but um yeah, quite a podcast, dude. We were up over an hour. I think when we edit it down, it might be a little bit under an hour, but we've uh, we've done a quick uh, a quick kind of 1-hour recap of quite a bit of things here. Is there anything else you want to share with the uh, the listeners before we sign off? I mean, just that we're going to commit to trying to record every Sunday. And by trying, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But <laughs> by mi- missing more than half of them. So I, I, I'll, as a consolation to our listeners, I think we will try to do them more often. Um, maybe not every Sunday, but a little bit more on, on a regular cadence. So, you know, I think we need to get back on, on pushing this and, you know, getting our listeners, our listenership back up. I'm actually really surprised to see that I don't think we've gone a single week between the last episode and this episode where we've gotten no listens we've had a listen or two just about every week which is pretty impressive actually for a podcast that only has 14 episodes and probably you know under 100 collective listeners a week so um the people have spoken (laughs) and we're back (laughs) i'm gonna try to get some um guest hosts on as well so look out for that in the future cool well um matt we'll we'll chat soon and uh we'll figure out when the next episode is so um, I think, uh, I think we're out. Okay, bye. Peace.